0: This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luc-Olivier Dumeble.
1: And I'm Yannick Menger. And what's our topic for this week, Yannick? Apple and the Ginza Shibuya Axis. Excuse me? What? You'll find oh. out.
0: Yeah, of course, of course. But before I will find out, I think you have some more follow-up first.
1: Yep, so... We have an admin note and we have some follow ups. I'm going to start with the admin note. Uh, as we hinted at last episode, we are going to be taking a two week break because Lucas is going on assignment somewhere and I am going to be, uh, doing a game jam in two weeks. So we won't be able to edit and release the podcast at all. Uh, so look forward to our next episode in a month.
0: Yeah, it's funny because, uh, personally for me, um, this weekend i'll be in vancouver so maybe when you'll be listening to my voice i will still be in vancouver uh, after that i have uh, uh, the opening season event for the racetrack and after that uh, like i said at the end of last episode i will be at ns north so a big uh, april month for me personally lots of stuff uh, to do and it is uh, quite a big month to at work so i'm kind of running around these days a lot so that's that's quite that's fun i i, I I'm sure like I will be complaining for the whole month, but it is fun to be busy.
1: And as I mentioned at the end of the last episode, uh, I'm going to be participating in a Game Jam. And I am planning to do an episode on my experience inside said ga- Game Jam at the end of next month. So if you have any questions on my experience, uh, be sure to send them over our way on Twitter at Limipo podcast L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast uh and i will try to answer those questions if we have any on the show when the time comes uh next up i have some follow up on your battle royale episode uh which i got some good comments about from our fans so that's cool the score esports is uh it's actually kind of interesting they're a canadian tv channel that does regular sports the score is i should point out and they have this really successful esports branch that is like one of the premier esports sites in the world. So it just happens to be Canadian. Um, And they have a really, really good YouTube channel, including a mini documentary series called The Story Of. And I want to point out that uh, last week they released The Story of Apex Legends. And then prior to that, they had also done The Story of PUBG, The Story of Fortnite, and The Story of Call of Duty. Uh, So if you want to learn a lot about all of these Battle Royale games that we talked about uh, last episode, you should definitely go check out all of these mini-documentaries. The Call of Duty one is a little bit broad because it's not specific to Blackout. It is global to the entire Call of Duty franchise, but it is super interesting nonetheless, and they have pretty good production value, so that's good too.
0: It's funny, my conclusion of of the last episode still stands out. Uh, In the last two weeks, I mainly played uh, Call of Duty, Mainly because they release a new update and they added a new map that is the uh Alcatraz prison mm. uh i know it, it is included in their zombie mode uh now they put it in uh, uh in blackout which is an uh, it's uh, i think in this mode you are it's a quad Alcatraz mode and um you only have 40 players at the same time on the map because the map, as you might guess, is quite small. And also, it used the uh, typical uh, respawn mechanism, a bit like the typical Call of Duty online modes, where you just die. But those, uh, in some rare cases, where a blackout does that, it goes by rounds. So uh, not by round, but more waves. You have it. I think. 3 to 5 waves depending on which mode they do uh, for that update. And if you die between those waves, you save. But after, the, like, let's say the 5th wave, uh, the circle has, uh, has shrinks so much that you are forced to stay alive or just die. And of course, the idea is once all the teammates from the same team are dead, uh, you lose. So, n- n- it's a nice small update. Um, and I was thinking about it while I was playing it. I didn't uh, look back at Apex, but it's still on my list so i'll keep you posted in the next few weeks
1: cool are we ready to move on to the main topic oh yes we are okay so as i said uh two weeks ago on our last episode i sort of hinted that this was going to be a very delayed response to the departure of angela erentz from apple as head of retail um just to give a little bit of context, Angela Aarons was uh, previously the CEO at Burberry. She is a big uh, figure of the fashion industry. And it was not a small deal that she was leaving her CEO position to go become head of retail at Apple when it originally happened. So it was kind of shocking at the start of the year. I think early February, uh, first week of February when she announced that she was going to be leaving Apple. Like, it was literally a week after she had had a profile in Vogue, which was really strange timing.
0: Yeah, the timing around that was quite strange because our profile in Vogue was quite uh, impressive and and lengthy. And then that she announced that she was leaving for personal reasons was quite strange.
1: Yeah, it was very odd, um, but it it gave us the year of Steven, so there we go. (laughs) Um, So... Uh, two main angles of discourse came out of that. I don't really want to go over too much like the fallout from that because that was two months ago and it's not really relevant anymore. I want to make a broader point about this. Uh, but two main angles of discourse came out of that, which was her impact, her personal impact on the retail experience and the role of fashion on Apple's business. Because since she was a fashion person coming to Apple, she was able to influence the company in certain ways. Well, I'm not entirely convinced that she, she was completely responsible for that, Impact. I think part of that fashion sense was always within the Apple corporation all along, but we'll get to that. Um, And I'm less interested in the first, which is the impact on the retail experience, than I am in the second, although we will come back to the retail experience at the end of the show. So yeah, when people talk about the role of fashion in Apple's business, they usually use the word fashion to mean a combination of three different things how long a design's shelf life is good for, the aesthetic of the product, and the price point. Because that sort of together makes up what we call fashion. But like everybody interprets the word fashion differently. So I really find it important to break out those elements. And I've been trying to find like a good framework with which we can actually discuss these issues in a way that isn't completely insane. And a couple uh, months ago, I was out taking a walk And it clicked, and I found the perfect framework for it. And now I get to explain what the hell the actual topic of the show is, which is the Ginza Shibuya Axis.
0: Yeah, it's always funny when you mix up some stuff I know with some Japanese stuff that I really have no clue about them.
1: Yes, so the actual topic of this episode is whether or not apple is a ginza brand or a shibuya brand uh shibuya Ooh. and ginza have little in common but what they do have in common is that they are two fashion centers in the city of tokyo with practically opposite demographics and sensibilities however they are both undeniably fashionable so i made up these little verbal mood boards for uh, shibuya and ginza uh so imagine a pinterest page in your pay, uh, in your uh, head with some of these keywords floating around. Uh, so for Shibuya, I'm just gonna say it out straight, Splatoon. Uh, Splatoon is not explicitly taking place in Shibuya, though there are a lot of architectural elements in Splatoon that mimic Shibuya quite heavily. Um, but like the vibrant colors, uh, the youth, uh, it, that comes out in the Splatoon design sort of reflects Shibuya, especially, uh, Splatoon 1. Pop fashion is really what's big in Shibuya. It's a 15 to 25-year-old demographic for the most part. If you take a look at like materials you would build things with in Shibuya, it's going to be colorful plastics and aluminum. Uh, There are a lot of nightclubs, record stores, coffee shops. Uh, when you go to bars, you're mostly being served cheap cocktails. Uh, it's all about pop culture, youth, coolness. And if I had to sort of put the fashion of Shibuya into a phrase, it would be flavor of the season. It is a very seasonal uh fashion market. Go and contrast that with Ginza. So Ginza, first of all, like if you listen to our episode about Bartender, remember that all of Bartender takes place in Ginza. So that should give you a baseline mm. if you watch that. Um, I
0: forgot that's true.
1: Yeah so instead of splatoon i think like the the key word i would say for ginza is seiko seiko is a brand of mechanical watches that is very popular in japan um and that's because they're a luxury brand uh neighborhood uh another thing that's really big there is high-end cameras uh which is very odd like the the two big brands you see when you are looking at pictures of ginza are nikon and seiko so there you go Uh, The demographic skews older. It's 25 to 55-year-old. The younger end of that is mostly towards women. It's older men and then 25 to 55-year-old women. Uh, An interesting note is that the first Burberry store in Japan opened in Ginza in 2000. So it gives you also another idea of how this maybe ties into what we're talking about. Uh, In terms of materials, (laughs) there's a lot more glass, stainless steel, rare metals, diamonds in Ginza than you see in Shibuya, which is much more colorful and popping uh you're seeing a lot more bars cabarets art galleries instead of cheap cocktails like in you're being served expensive liquor and spirits uh there's wealth maturity and sophistication and summarizing just the fashion of ginza uh into a phrase i would say it's it's all about timeless beauty and a lot of the elements you see in ginza are very much designs that are going to stand the test of time and not just something that's going to be obsolete in six months. And if we're going just global here, Shibuya is more about individuality expressed within what is popular this season. And then Ginza is more business class. Like, not like IBM ThinkPad ugly business class, but like classy business class, like taking business class on a flight business class. So now that you sort of have this idea in your head of what Shibuya represents and what Ginza represents, I think it's interesting to look back at Apple's products over the, well, ever since Steve Jobs came back, let's be honest, because before that, they were kind of neither Ginza or Shibuya. They were kind of Shinagawa, which is the office park of like Tokyo. So not particularly interesting. Maybe the Tam and a couple other Macs are here and there have like notable exceptions. But for the most part, we're talking about ever since Jonathan Ive came into the picture. And you can learn a lot of things about how Apple's products have changed by trying to place these products on the Ginza Shibuya axis. Uh, so early eye of Max, um if you look at the quadrants that Steve Jobs drew up when he came back, which was a uh, consumer column with uh, two rows and pro column with two rows and the rows being portable and desktop. Consumer Macs were Shibuya. Like, look at the iMac. Like, that was a crazy design that was very out there. There is a reason that there is a Twitter bot posting like 2000s aesthetic stuff and everything looks like the iMac. It was like a very pop fashion thing of the late 90s, early 2000s. If you look at the Pro Max, they were more Ginza. Uh, my personal favorite as an example here is the G4 Cube. The G4 Cube looks like something you would see in a case walking by a luxury watch store or something uh, in Ginza. So I really like that aesthetic, and it was a really clear delineation. Consumer was Shibuya, Pro was Ginza, and it was really fresh, and there was a little something for everyone in that lineup. Looking at the original iPhone, that It's not particularly attractive in all ways, particularly the back. I think the back has aged pretty badly. Um, But from the front, it screams Ginza. And especially in the context of the time, it was like this alien technology we had never seen before. Like, it was, I must have this, but also very classy. And I think that's why I would register it into Ginza. 3G3GS, it was like a notable downgrade in premium (laughs) feel. Oh my... Uh I'm not saying the phone was worse, I'm just saying the design of the phone was like notably like uh, well, it's clearly cheaper, um and less premium feeling. And for that reason I'm putting it more towards Shibuya.
0: Did you ever get any of those two?
1: Um, uh, I think my dad had a 3G, but I have never owned one myself.
0: So I just to just give you a big picture on how cheap the plastic case <laughs> looked. Uh, I think it was in main use for four years, like two years with me and two years with, uh, yeah, it will be Tony and maybe some of family members. And this is my most destroyed phone. The <laughs> glass is still fine, but the back case is so like beaten out that compared to the four S, the five S, the six S that still were active for more or less f- four years, that. You would assume that this the one is just like it was destroyed by a tango, like run over by something like huge compared to the other phones. It's crazy how cheap it was, I think designed at this point.
1: It makes you wonder if that's why Samsung decided to copy it for the Galaxy S. Ho ho ho, ho. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> before I get myself into trouble, uh <laughs> iPhone four, iPhone four S, that was really like the f- switch where iPhones became super Ginza. Uh and at least at that moment I thought for the better, because like not only did it have the retina display, which was like mind blowing at the time, but it was all glass and glasses very Ginza uh so it, it was really cool. Five five SSE same kind of idea the chamfered edges like we learned the phrase chamfered edges because of like the <laughs> obsession over those fucking edges on the phone the only part that kind of sucked was uh when i got my original iphone 5 i still remember it the black one i took it out of the box and it got scratched by like something that was in the box for some reason and you could see the gray under it from the anodized aluminum that really sucked uh But otherwise that was sort of my only well that and the screen size, which was an issue at the time. Less so now because it got has gotten much worse. Uh but it's still a a very Ginza feeling design. iPhone 5C, this is like Max Shibuya. Like this is like and like I have seen billboards for the iPhone 5C all over Shibuya as well. So it's like no surprise there. It was very colorful, beautiful plastics. It was great. Uh, iPhone 6 success 7 8 all variations along the same theme but still very ginza if we move away from iPhone let's say we go to iPod classic uh I'm mixing all of the generations pretty much together because they've all pretty much had a ginza feel from the start uh Whereas iPod Mini, iPod Nano, that was definitely Shibuya. Uh, one thing that I feel like I need to bring out specifically about the iPod Mini and the Nano is that in their peak, the mass market iPod saw a major design refresh every single year. If you contrast that with uh the iPhone 6, 6s, 6, 7, and optionally the 8, depending on what your price point was, uh time span, where all of the phones basically had the same design for three to four years aside from a body color was not as exciting as when the iPod Mini looked completely different from year to year. Like one year you had the fat Nano, and then the year afterwards you had a weird wide one that had a video camera that was trying to complete with flip cameras. Like it was a weird time for iPods, but it was also way more exciting than I find watching new iPhone announcements nowadays. And as I mentioned in the Shibuya mood board, Shibuya fashion has a much, much shorter shelf life uh, than Ginza fashion. And therefore the market demands quicker changes to adapt with the market uh, demands. And that makes the iPod Mini a much better suited product for the Shibuya crowd than the iPhone 6, 6s, 7, and 8. So let's look at modern day Apple products. Where do those sit? Uh, so iPhone XS, very clearly Ginza. Uh, it's very, it's the same as the iPhone X, so not too surprising there. iPhone XR, uh, this is a tricky one because it's very much trying to be a flagship phone with like close to... Uh, 10s components and all that stuff but because they have that colorful element that you can kick in there it is arguably one of the more shibuya products that apple has put up in recent times but not by much then you look at ipad ipad mini those are sort of weird because again they're old products and i'll get to that a little bit later but uh fundamentally a lot of the Uh, industrial design that we're seeing at Apple today is Ginza executed with Shibuya materials. Like, you can't make iPads out of stainless steel and get away with it for the price they're selling them at. Like, it would be really cool, but you can't. Uh, So they're trying to, like, make a design that would not look off in Ginza, but using cheaper materials because it needs to be a mass market device and not, like, a thing only rich people can buy. iPad Pro... Somehow, like, they're still using pretty much same range of materials, but it looks much more premium. So this, I can say, is pretty much confidently Ginza. Um, And the fact that, like, as much as I like to shit on it, like, the smart keyboard and all of that stuff gives it more of a business class vibe than uh, the other ones, which is fitting because it's a pro product. I just disagree with the execution of that macbook macbook pro same deal it's ginza with shibuya materials i'm lumping these together because they're again they're very similar designs i forgot the macbook air which i forgot existed because they're effectively the 12 inch macbook in a 13 inch body uh listen to atp for more on that i don't want to talk about fucking laptops right now
0: uh i know you don't want to talk about keyboards and stuff no
1: <laughs> iMac mac once again ginza with shibuya materials but it looks very fancy uh I think it's really cool because you, you do actually see iMacs like these in Shibuya as well. They can fit in both environments. But I just feel like the iMac as it is today seems like a very timeless design. Maybe it's just because it's been with us since like what 2013. Like it's this design has been around for a really long time, so it feels timeless as long as uh as well as just looking timeless. But like I'm pretty sure we can look back at the iMac in like 10-15 years and it's still going to look as classy a piece of hardware in 10, 15 years as it does today. Mac Pro, I didn't forget you, good old Mac Pro. Okay, so this is 100% Ginza, and this is, like, super stupid. It's because it looks like a very fancy mechanical watch winder from the top. It's also very pretty and glossy, and once again, sort of fits into that G4 Cube idea of something you could see in a glass case in Ginza and wouldn't look out of place. It is very much not out of place. I know it's, like, basically just... A plastic cylinder, but it's like a premium plastic cylinder. And again, like the fact that it sort of looks like something that belongs in a fancy watch repair shop kind of gives it that extra Ginza vibe just because watches are common in Ginza. Apple Watch. Uh, this is interesting because it sort of has tension between the demographics and use cases of the device and the design they're going for. So uh, no matter what model you're buying whether it's the sport or the stainless steel or r.i.p edition edition was like 120 percent ginza and stainless steel is very ginza as well sport is again like sort of this ginza with shibuya materials thing that we're seeing in a lot of the other uh mass market devices that they have but i think the tension we're seeing is the primary usage you're seeing of apple watch is in exercise scenarios and not so much fashion scenarios and I think there is place there to have a product that has a more sporty look than this fancy watch <laughs> that is like Ginza themed with Shibuya material. So I think this is a kind of a mistake on their part that they're not differentiating the two watches. At the same time, like from a purely tech perspective, I am very appreciative of the fact that the stainless steel watch and the aluminum watch are effectively the same exact product, except the case is the big change because... It would also kind of suck if you were a uh, a mass market buyer to feel like you're missing out on something because you don't want to spend for the fancy fashion watch. I am adding in a weird product to this one. Apple Card. This is 150 oh. fucking percent Ginza. Like all of the rich businessmen, they're going to sign up for this shit ASAP. Uh, So, yeah, I, I needed to jam it in there. And another one we don't really think of that much, which is kind of wild card, is Beats. Beats is like Super Shibuya. Uh, you see them a lot there too. Uh, in fact, like pretty much anything that has to do with music sort of gravitates more towards Shibuya because there's more music in Shibuya than there is in Ginza. Um, so that benefits, but I think like there is a brand within Apple, a sub brand within Apple that is, that knows how to do this stuff. Uh, it's not like the knowledge isn't there. It's just they're not really leveraging it. Um, and again, like it, it was there, it arguably like in the nineties and the early two thousands, they just sort of drifted apart. So the point I'm trying to make by like taking all of these products and like putting them somewhere on this scale is that the Ginza Shibuya spread was more balanced up until the iPod stopped being a focal point. And ever since then, we've mostly been in Ginza. And on ATP 285, there was an Ask ATP question, which honestly a segment that I don't particularly enjoy. But this time they sort of had a good question, which was what happened to Apple's whimsy? Uh, and I think this is very related to that as product lines started becoming more consistent with each other and using similar materials and design language all of the personality that was there in the early 2000s got sucked out of them and what makes matters worse is uh, this tendency that apple has in recent years to keep old flagship devices around particularly in the uh, iphone lineup uh, instead of having a dedicated lower end offering with a more shibuya friendly design and pricing uh, another thing you're seeing is operational optimization uh is the reason that they reuse bodies year after year. So revisions like the S models, or in the very dark case of the 66S, 6, 6, 6, 7, 8 lineage, where four phones basically are identical uh industrial design, uh like you see the operational optimization. And from an operations point of view, like that's great. I love the idea of what they're doing there, but at the same time. It's just making Apple lean towards more conservative and more timeless Ginza style designs. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, like they're making a step in the right direction uh, with the iPhone XR, which lets you choose from a range of colors, which sort of brings it back to the iPod Nano thing. The problem is it's still at Ginza prices, it's uh, unattainable for the lower end of the market. And if you have a more individualistic, fashionable product like that, I think you have to keep it lower because you're going to be selling more of them. And I will get to that in a little bit. Uh, the other thing is that I think the iPhone 5C, again, like I mentioned earlier, is like the perfect product for the Shibuya thing. Uh, it was perfect. And I guess the sales numbers didn't line up and it sort of didn't help. that It launched the same year as the 6, which got all of that pent up uh, big phone demand so I don't know it, it's tricky to say that the 5C was a failure because people want the premium iPhone design all the time it just I think it was more a victim of timing than anything else
0: I'm eager to see what will be the, the sales number for the 10 hour especially because you get like you get one of the main reason to differentiate yourself and also get an iPhone which is colors more or less you get the typical like iPhone design for the last few years now especially now it will be more the iPhone 10 design but you get colors and Apple's colors even when there was on a 5c they look gorgeous I've seen a couple of iPhone 5c uh, in the wild uh, recently and surprisingly enough they look quite good after a couple of years
1: yeah, no, the 5C are fantastic. Uh I'm less in love with the 10R colors. Um but they're also very good. Uh I am waiting for a tax refund and I am probably going to buy a yellow 10R, so stay tuned Ooh, for that in the yellow. future. Ooh. Yeah, I'm a yellow person. I've been wanting yellow devices for ages, so now that they've given me one, I have to support that with my dollars. <laughs> okay, we're going to get to the next question that is on my list, which is are the values of the products in line with the values of the demographics they're selling those products to? So what's interesting is that people like us who grew up with Apple as a cool Shibuya brand might now be at the Ginza stage of their life. And for people like us, Apple's products have kept their repeal because their taste and sensibilities have evolved alongside ours. And now the sort of like thing I want everyone to think about is okay, that's great for us, but what about people who are right now the same age we were during the peak iPod period? What Apple products are desirable to them in the modern Apple product lines? And then are they even remotely accessible to those people because of price, or do they have to resort to hand-me-downs from their parents or whatever? And like the deeper question that goes on uh, from that is, even if, let's say, Apple did have products that were uh, desirable to younger audiences because they could express themselves with it or whatever what use are those products if their target audience can't afford them so uh, do you have any thoughts on these questions hmm
0: not really uh those are quite interesting i I would say that i'll let you go first to be honest i'm still thinking about all of them
1: so so the the honest thing is i don't have an answer for this either i've just been thinking about it a lot i think there are no real desirable products in the way that we desired iPods back in the day. Uh, I think the products now, they speak to people in terms of their functionality. They are very like checkmark based technology product thing and less an emotional level of, Oh my God, that is a beautiful product. I need to own it. I think there was a lot more of that like visceral. I need to own that back in the iPod days when designs were fresh all the time than they are now. And I think, that's an issue at least and the other thing is like look at the macbooks and compare them to the macbooks of 2011 2012 like yes we know the internals have gotten better we know that now there are two additional like body colors but fundamentally like what is the big difference that there's been in laptop design in the last 10 years not that big a change
0: oh i understand your point but i would say that maybe we're I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if we're used to but like it feels these days with a lot of the like evolution some products makes like when a revolutionary product gets out the first few its first few f- generation uh they are quite like big and then they stabilize and they kind of find their their spot where they should be and then they just like improve 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 uh if I were to make a car analogy, and, like, Apple is good at doing that, but, like, the Porsche 911 is, like, has been the next, like, 50, even 60 years at this point, where, like, they have big generation where they might look different, they might need new features, but more or less, like, you see the trend there. And, of course, if you look back a lot, like, if you do, I think what I'm saying, to I'm trying to say here is, if you make, a, like, a, a checklist comparison from Gen N, my and Gen N-1, the 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 changes are quite minimal but then if you do like a 10 year checklist and say like, what is the car right now what was the car 10 years that's where you see all those like small improvements and small like fine tweaking on this already amazing product gave you like big gaps gave big improvement in a bigger time step
1: the, the point I sort of wanted to make with regards to like that 911 thing is you don't see very many young people going after that 911 you see that you see older people and that's sort of the point i'm trying to make is that i think an older audience is going to be uh less bothered or even more attracted to more timeless designs like the 911 whereas like people who are like let's say 16 years old like th- what they're going after is completely different and i think that apple as a company used to be able to cater to both the more timeless older crowd and the young crowd at the same time especially with the ipod and now they sort of abandoned the youth market and i think that's going to screw them over in the long run hmm.
0: oh interesting uh, i would like just to quickly note that uh, i would like to be able to buy myself a porsche but they're a porsche but they're quite expensive so yeah there's a reason why maybe youngsters are not buying those cars oh definitely <laughs> but like
1: you don't see very many youngsters also like lusting after mechanical watches or other luxury products and that like true the porsche car is the luxury product and i think apple is increasingly positioning itself as trying to have luxury products whether or not they deserve to call themselves that while they also have a keyboard disaster in their last three years of laptops that's another thing but uh yeah the that's pretty much what i wanted to say uh so the the next thing we need to do is is it actually possible for companies to be both a Ginza brand and a Shibuya brand? Well, I've sort of spoiled already that <laughs> old Apple kind of did this before, but there's another example that is pretty good in the in the consumer electronics space, and that's Sony. Um hmm. What's funny about Sony is they literally have a showroom in Ginza. I've been there. Uh, you can go try all of their products, whether they are the Shibuya products or the Ginza products. Um, but if you actually, like, extract the product lines that are Shibuya and Ginza in Sony right now, uh, and these are going to include historical products because I think right now is kind of, they're also skewing more Ginza right now. Um So Walkman, Mini disk PlayStation, all of that stuff was very Shibuya. Um, And I'll get to why in a second. Uh, The Ginza product lines are high-res audio. We don't really hear about it here in North America, but Sony's high-res audio thing to try and convince audiophiles that they could hear things that they don't hear. (laughs) Absolutely fucking huge in Japan right now. And there are entire huge sections of every electronic store devoted to this, and it is making a ton of money. Whether or not it is actually worth that money is a whole other thing open to debate that we can get to in a future episode. Uh, Another thing, alpha digital cameras. Alpha digital cameras have never uh, done better on the market and they are also very huge and very Ginza. Um, So the thing I want to get to with Walkman, Discman, MiniDisc, and to some extent the PSP is that those product lines have often revolved around selling the same device multiple times to the same customer. And the main difference was not anything with regards to functionality it was always flashing new design and that's the analogy i want to make with the ipod the functionality of the ipod if you look from year to year like on a pure checkboxes model it didn't grow that much from revision to revision like congratulations you bought the new ipod nano now you can search by letter <laughs> oh shit dog <laughs> that was totally worth three hundred dollars um. No, nobody. Well, I did. I bought one of the iPods <laughs> yeah, for that. But in the that. grand scheme of things, nobody did that. Like they were doing it because it looked an eighth the size of the iPod they had and they needed to have it. And there was a lot of that like visceral, like I need to have this. And that was what I was talking about. As soon as you saw the new iPods, it was so different that it made the old model look uncool and obsolete. It's how some people talk about the iOS 7 UI change. I disagree with their opinions, but it's how a lot of people felt when they saw that. And I can't argue with that. So I think, like, if it's not clear by now, I think Apple should be trying to gravitate their product lines towards a Ginza Shibuya split. Where they have a more consumer-slash-youth-focused uh, lineup which is more acts towards 15 to 25 year old people and then you can have a more premium line where the 10s resides where all of that stuff is which is more uh Ginza focused and if you want to you can have a mid range that kind of sits around what the iPhone XR is right now where it is a premium product it has opportunities for personal uh, personalization but it's not like made of plastic it's still a very good solid um, premium feeling device that is just like at the middle if you can't afford the fancy shit that they're putting in the iPhone XS2 or whatever it's called. So now I want to get back to retail because we opened this talking about like uh, Angela Aaron's in retail and all that stuff. And I think how a company perceives itself is often going to come off on its retail experience. And this is exactly what the issues we're seeing with the apple store today sort of reflect even though apple seems to think of itself as a luxury brand uh the foot traffic in their stores is far closer to a mass market retailer like sometimes it's more crowded than like walmart and shit like that uh and that is an issue because some of the little works of luxury retail that they are trying to bring into the Apple store like one on one service and not having lines and only telling people to like randomly stand at a table somewhere in the store uh, because that works in luxury retail is it only works in luxury retail because by definition luxury retail is accessible to fewer people and therefore their foot traffic is lower and their volume of people that are coming in is unlikely to overwhelm the staff that they have on hand when I go to the Hermes store in Japan I don't buy anything but let's say I did They would make me stand at a table and wait for the person to come over to me. And I would have a very similar experience in terms of what they are trying to do to the Apple store. The problem is there would only be like three groups of people in the store. It would be about the same size as an Apple store. And it would probably make as much money as an Apple store, to be honest, because the prices of what they're selling are so much higher than anything Apple is selling right now, except maybe a fully loaded iMac Pro they can push themselves further out market and it will reduce the number of people in their stores because if all of their products effectively become unaffordable, like the same thing will happen to Apple stores that happen at Hermes stores. But the thing is like simply trying to scale the luxury shopping experience to a mass market store clearly isn't working and causes frustration in people who need like, who want to buy devices or need their devices to be fixed because there's like, there's always like the East coast thing of, we need structure in our stores. We need lions. We can't just stand around doing for shit. And I can say like having gone to California, this is a real thing. They are crazy over there and they don't have structure anywhere. And it drives me insane and it is very stressful. But at the same time, like you need to sort of act like what you are, not what you see yourself as. And if you're right now a mass market store it's unfortunate because I think we all remember the days when we could walk into an Apple store and get premium treatment. And we weren't being like squeezed together with all of the other sardines in the store because they were only selling Macs and iPods that worked on Macs. Right. But that's not the reality today. And I think Apple should adapt for that. I think uh, what they're doing with today at Apple and they're having uh, lessons and seminars or whatever to teach people how to use their devices. Like that's great. I have no issue with that aspect of it i think the slightly more pretentious uh point of view where they're like this is town square and a meeting place and come over here like i i think it's not very well suited for that because the store is already crowded as is like you want to add more people there who are doing jack shit related to your actual store like congratulations you just fucked up the stores even more like i'm not convinced on that aspect of it but fundamentally i think that apple needs to relook the entire retail experience to really focus on sales and support right now And not worry so much about trying to be a meeting place, uh, trying to be a luxury retail when they're clearly not. And it's also kind of odd, right? Because Apple is also sort of trying to find like, what is the highest we can push these prices before people stop buying our products. Um, And that doesn't make you luxury. It just means like you are trying to squeeze more money out of the middle class that are buying your products because they really like your products. I don't know. My retail thoughts are less solidified than the entire like universal theory of the Ginza Shibuya axis, um, but that's more or less what I had to discuss today. Um, and I'm interested in hearing what your thoughts are if you're convinced, or if you just have anything to add on the topic.
0: Oh, uh, i yes, I have something. Yeah, I'm quite surprised that um, you kind of didn't in, like look too much about how that affected the departure of the senior SVP of sale, the SVP of sale, uh, of the retail, uh, Angela Aarons. Like, would you think that she was more on one side than the other? And how was her, maybe her effect in the last four or five years on the company to maybe skew on one side or the other? So the thing that's
1: difficult with evaluating, like, her impact on what ended up happening at Apple at all of that, like, I'm going to state, like, straight up, I know that technically, since she's the head of retail, like she's responsible for whatever the fuck happens under her anyway. Um, but I don't want to like make it seem like I'm personally targeting her and her decisions. I think it's like, it, it's a whole like attitude problem.
0: Oh, yeah. But here I was more referring on like you were saying, like, uh, like the Apple of early 2000s, uh, was more on, uh, on one side than the other. Um, uh, when you were doing your uh, neighborhoods comparison.
1: Uh, it was um, more balanced, let's say. Okay. Because I, I, I don't think that they were like entirely a Shibuya thing. I think they had a very good balance of like in terms of sales, they were probably selling like three quarters or two thirds Shibuya products versus Ginza. Um, yeah. But that's a good balance still. Like if you look at the product line, there's a pretty much even split of what products are Ginza and which are Shibuya. It's just that some have different needs than others.
0: True, but like if I were to maybe like, and sometimes like like you said, it's it's a bit hard to like uh, assign who did that or was like was that a big project that was started before and then she arrived. But it feels to me that if you want to use your Shibuya versus Ginza comparison, that in the last five years, like Apple is moving more, more and more, and even faster and faster to the Ginza side, and. Yep she might have been the reason why. And whether you think it's a bad thing or not, I think it is sadly too early to define that. And that was personally what I find I found the most surprising about her departure is I f- felt that she was doing a good job, but she kind of left a lot of our ideas on the table. Uh, we will never know what happened. I'm sure like in 10 years, she'll write a book about her experience at Apple and we'll all read it for sure. But let's say for now that we will never know because Apple. But it felt to me what what surprised me when I read the announcement was that I was like, she did announce a lot of big big things happening in the Apple store, like
1: who and it was like, fairly what, recent too.
0: Right, and it's like, what's going to happen to those strategies? Like, are we doing a full 180 on those? Are they continue to be or will they be continued to work on? And that was a big surprise because I feel that the app the Apple retail stores were getting transformed whether you were liking the transformation or not I think it was still early to uh, it was still early to have an opinion about it but if you were lucky enough to have store renovated in Montreal those were not uh, renovated yet uh, so that's why I say for me it was felt early but maybe from other location around the world you might already seen this vision and you did not like it so I can could understand why you may be more critical that I am right now but it feels to me like, like I said, because like my personal, like my close to my house Apple stores were mm-hmm. not renovated, that our vision was still like kind of in progress. Like it was not yeah. quote unquote completed, even if it could never be fully completed, if it's that type of project. But I feel that to have a better opinion about it, like it was missing like maybe a year or two.
1: Yeah, I think she might have been a victim of timing kind of like the iPhone 5C where two things sort of happened around the same time that well leading up to her departure there was the battery replacement program which sort of destroyed all semblance of productivity <laughs> from the genius bar
0: and i think since then that a lot of anonymous genius people like didn't mention that oh my goodness year 2018 will be remembered as the crazy year with all the battery replacement the apple store were not ready i did two battery replacement in that year and Oh my God, it was crazy every time you had to go to the Apple store for this.
1: Yep, there was that. And then there was the iPhone XR sales not living up to expectations, which sort of make you wonder, well, okay, is it because all of these initiatives that Angela is throwing around that are not really doing anything to impact sales or service, they're just kind of like good corporate image maintenance stuff mm-hmm. for for Apple? are these leading our stores down the wrong direction? And I think, like, especially with Tim Cook's uh, operations background, it's totally plausible explanation that, like, she was a victim of timing, and those initiatives were the wrong thing for the wrong time. And at the same time, like, I, I don't think, like, she was expecting the battery thing in particular to happen, like, following her being hired, necessarily. Um,
0: yeah, and it felt like, from the small anonymous tips we got from, like, working people at the apple stores like that was kind of it felt a bit like force upon the apple retail people's meaning like some people on the hardware side they decided oh yeah we have to like we have to handle this PR situation and they decided to do like let's get a big discount on batteries for people while consulting the retail people and like making sure that they are ready for that to happen
1: yeah uh and like even just like talking about the geniuses themselves like there's been discontent among like geniuses and all that stuff that they don't get to do as many repairs as they used to because apple's products are less repairable and therefore they just replace things more often and the job of being a genius is less interesting than it used to um i mean that could be a full episode by itself so i don't want to venture too much into it um But like there's discontent from the genius and the staffing side of things. And there's also sort of discontent from the customers that are trying to get their stuff serviced or buying products and having like these sort of, uh, I'm going to borrow a term from the magic world, these sort of do nothing projects uh, that are popping up that aren't really serving any of the two main things that the Apple store should be doing as a priority is kind of like, well, why are you pushing this right now? It's not the right time for this, and maybe that's why she's gone. Again, like, we'll probably never know. I th- I think it's a decently acceptable reason why they would do it. Plus, we can't forget, like, she has family in the UK that she would like to hang out with because her college-age students are... Over there right now, and she can't be with them, and like she's rich already, so why the fuck not? Like, it, it, I think it's just like a convergence of these factors coming together, and it's not necessarily like that she was fired or anything. It's just like I would rather be with my children, and like these things that I consider to be priorities are not aligned with what you consider to be priorities, and that maybe that's why she was gone.
0: Yeah, but like with people at that level, you you know that like a friendly departure is. Can the, the PR speak to you just say, oh, we can't fire you, but we want you to be fired, so bye-bye.
1: Yeah, but I I still also think, like, if they were actually trying to, like, Fire her in a kind way. They still wouldn't have let the Vogue profile go through necessarily. Like there are a bunch of like really like standout things, and we're like having her speak at the event last time. Like Mm -hmm. there there were just a bunch of weird little things that made it seem like a sudden departure and not something that has been planned for a while. Yeah, it can still be a sudden friendly departure, but it's just kind of weird, and that's why it's hard to comment on.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't even. I have a like since answer yeah, I kind of have a small like. That's a weird. By the way, I'll start start with that. But that's just weird. It's like me like trying to learn management stuff. So I imagine like her coming out one day and she goes to her boss, which is Tim Cook, and she's like, "Yo, Tim, I'm out. Bye!" And she just <laughs> runs. And then yeah. Tim is like, "What? What?" <laughs> so yeah, that's the the funny uh, story. Sometimes I try to believe.
1: Uh, one of the things I do want to mention, which is not directly related to Angela, but is very related to the start of Apple retail. Uh, a couple months ago, the Without Fail podcast on Gimlet, which there are a bunch of issues with that podcast, namely that they keep putting episodes of that fucking podcast in the feed for startup, which is another podcast, which has <laughs> nothing to do with Without Fail. But aside from that, uh, there was a fantastic interview with Ron Johnson, which was Ooh. the head of retail at the time that the Apple retail stores opened.
0: Up until like 2012, I recall correctly. 2013? Yeah,
1: around that time. Yeah. Um, and then he went and destroyed JCPenney, which was a fabulous experiment. Um, but joking aside, uh, it sort of became clear there that like Steve Jobs was mainly the thing that course corrected him into the right path, uh, a lot for the uh, Apple retail stores and that maybe Anybody could have been hired for that job and Steve Jobs would have guided him to exactly the same place, which is interesting and sort of gives you an idea of maybe things why things didn't go quite well at JCPenney. I think his ideas for JCPenney were not exactly wrong either, but they were kind of in the same class of weird, pretentious, not quite luxury retail that Apple was trying to go for with in the Angela days. But I,
0: I remember one of big, his big moves for JCPenney is people were saying like, JCPenney was always on discount. So let's yeah. say like all the stuff is like 60 bucks. Like, all the clothes are 60 bucks, but you kind of knew already that like they're always $30 and he's like, no more discounts. They're always $30. And then people are like, just, oh, but there's no more discount. So yeah. like they kind of uh, alienize like their base by just saying there's no more discount because people are just shopping for discounts.
1: Yeah, it's also weird because like w- w- we talk about this quite a bit because I do a lot of e-commerce work. And like y- you also have people who like, permanently put their products on sale because they're like oh well our competitors cost this much we have this product which we want to sell at this price so we're just going to say well it's normal price is the price of our competitors and we're going to discount this thing but if that product is always on discount that means that it doesn't look as valuable to uh customers because they think oh well that thing is always on discount so it must not be very good if it's not selling where like the jc penny story is completely the opposite where people were like only interested in the fact that things were on discount which is like fucking crazy to me as a <laughs> purchaser but whatever like that that is american retail for you like there's something in the air over there um anyway we're sort of getting sidetracked a little bit but that's okay Anyway, uh, I would love to hear from our listeners what they think of my crazy theory uh, about the Ginza Shibuya Axis. I've been thinking about this for many months, and I continue to think about it a lot. And eventually (laughs) I come up with more stuff to jam into the theory because it just seems like the most complete explanation of all these factors uh, that we've been seeing throughout the product lines over various years. And it's a very interesting uh, framework for me for these things.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I know you like you love Japan, so I'm not surprised that you're using a Tokyo-based example. But
1: oh, I can give New York analogies if you want.
0: No, but we, you can have a Quebec City analogy, right? Because like yeah, I'll, I'll to do some it. degree. Yeah, because like the the way the way the, the, the like the big like commercial stuff are in uh, Quebec City, there's like two places where there's like the big commercial centers, and then the typical American one. There's one like at one place in the city and there's like two big ones and a small one uh, right next to each other so it is really funny when you, you so you, you can like really cross from one to the other because they're, they're really like one next to the other yeah so uh, there's Place Laurier there's Place La Cité, and then there's Place Saint-Foy and for those are they are quite funny because Place Laurier is like the typical shopping mall like the typical American shopping mall you have all the brands and all that stuff the one in the middle is like kind of more like smaller local shop. Plus it's like an office tower. So it's like, there's stuff there, but it, it could be like more your local shop. Like, you know, the local barber or your local shoe store.
1: Honestly, I think that's my secret favorite of the three, but <laughs> yeah. I've always been obsessed with that place for some reason. But yeah.
0: And, uh, the last one, which is Place Saint-Foy is the one with, uh, with all the fancy brands. So it, I, I, I think. S- that's mainly the place where you want to see like the big luxury brands for like, like even European brands or North American brands. You need to go to Place Saint-Foy because they don't go to the other one that is under the extreme of the city. They always are there. And guess what? The Apple Store is in this one, not in Place Laurier, not in the Place, uh, Place T in Place Saint-Foy, which, which is like, it's next to, uh, could be like, ah, I forgot. They didn't change it. They're kind of in a corner right now, but they're like the there are like with all the big luxury brands. Like I forgot. It's been a while since I've been there. Wasn't there the Nike store there too,
1: or i mixing up with another brand? Like no, that. I don't remember a Nike store there.
0: Uh, then mixing up with another like uh, sports brand. Oh, it's been so long since I've been there. But yeah, I always find it that it was the luxury like shopping mall and.
1: Um, uh, it was
0: quite funny when we learned that the Apple store, uh, was there. Like, Anakin and I did even went to the opening together. So that was fun.
1: Yep. Uh, I bought a MacBook Air on day one. <laughs>
0: oh, that's when you bought your MacBook Air. True. Yep. true. Okay. So, uh, small, uh, small discussion again. But yeah, the all of this is to say is, uh, we could have, uh, also have, uh, like a Quebec example for this because, uh, more or less where all the Apple stores are, are in the, like, big, like, luxury shopping center or shopping areas
1: two things i need to bring up about that first of all uh there is an apple store in both ginza and shibuya oh they are uh very interesting because the shibuya one has traditionally been the one that has had more uh music events and all that stuff which makes sense because that's where the kids hang out the ginza one had one of the uh theaters early on where you could just like go at any time and they were like showing stuff like how to use keynote or whatever i actually Mm -hmm. sat through a keynote tutorial one time when i went to the ginza apple store the first year i was in japan uh i don't know if it's still there because i haven't been recently but uh it was really nice to see those two things and because i mentioned that i could give new york equivalents i will give the new york equivalent (laughs) because people will yell at me if i don't uh so ginza in this case would be fifth avenue and shibuya would be soho uh, that's pretty much the analogy to take into consideration there and I thought I had put it in my notes because that was one of the first things I had come up with was like oh maybe I shouldn't use Ginza Shibuya on the podcast because it's too Japanese and I was like fuck that shit that's what people come here for yes <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, come on
0: <laughs> now, I would have like find it weird that you say oh it's the uh, so or fifth Avenue. i you could like, what
1: yeah no that that would have been weird so I kept it Japanese. yeah that, that
0: is typical unique stuff and that's why we are
1: here yes So now I'm actually done with my topic. Uh, So please send in feedback. I would love to hear it, especially since there's going to be a two-week lull and I'm not going to know what to do with myself if I don't get feedback from our listeners. (laughs) Please write in (laughs) on Twitter.
0: Good. So I'm sure Yannick will have a lot of show notes again. And uh, if you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can go on our website at limitlesspossibility.net slash 111, 111. If you want to go through our back catalog of episodes, you can also go on limitlesspossibility.net. If you want to send some feedback to Yannick or to the show itself, you can find the show on Twitter and its latest news at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. If you want to do a more comparison of like neighborhoods and like apostle location, you can find Yannick at
1: Sakurina, that's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A.
0: And you can find myself on Twitter at Lugonus, that's L U C C O N O U C H E. And we will see you in a month. See you in a month.